0: Listen with your entire body and then ask follow-up questions based on their answers, and people will tell you anything. And they will. They'll tell you anything because they can sense an open heart and a genuine interest. And those are very powerful things in any livelihood.
1: Woo! Microphone check one, two, one you're now listening to a brand new episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. Look
0: what you start
1: started. Talk to him. Attorney, high performance coach, and speaker Cherie Prince asks hard questions to really get to the bottom of what makes entrepreneurs tick. From starting a business, marketing, strategies, and the ins and outs of their industries. We talk everything from book recommendations, lifestyle hacks, and everything possible to get you inspired and motivated to build your own business. The Play Big Faster podcast starts now.
2: Let's go. Welcome to another episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. We're joined today in this episode by Mike Ulmer. Mike is a writer, interviewer, and a peerless guest. Oh, he stuff. has written a bunch of books and did a bunch of bunch of interviews. Mike, tell us more about how you actually started working with individuals to write books and how you got the buzz to do so many interviews and to just really hone your craft.
0: Oh well, let's see where to start. I'll start as people always do at the beginning. I was just I was a kid who loved reading sports magazines, sports illustrated. I don't know if you remember that. I'd read it and i read it and i read it, but I wasn't going anywhere really. Uh, My family life wasn't great. And one day I got this letter and it said, congratulations, you've been accepted to Lambton College. And I thought, even in the 70s, that was weird because I didn't apply. So I said to my mom, I got this letter from a journalism school and it says uh, you've been accepted. And she said, oh. And I said, did you forge my name? Because that's a crime. Did you forge my name in an application? She said, you weren't doing anything, right? So I went to journalism school and guess what happened? I flunked. I had a great time and I failed spectacularly. The best thing that happened is I met my wife. And so she ended up a year ahead of me and I've never caught up yet. But I went and I went out West and I just about got blown up uh, because I was in this job handling dynamite. And Cherie, if you've known me for 50 seconds, you know that God did not put me on this earth to handle dynamite. I'm the last guy that ought to be doing that. So this time I came back home and I got serious and I worked hard at it. And I passed and then I started to work at little newspapers and my goal had always been to, much like an athlete, reach the big leagues. And I did. And I got to the job that I really wanted the most. And that was brilliant. And then I blew it up. I completely blew it up uh, because I didn't know, but at the time I had bipolar illness. And so as a result of that, Everything that a bipolar person should not do, I was doing. Was traveling between time zones and stuff like that. So I got in a, and again, I'm not a violent person, but I got into a spat with a guy in an airport. I got arrested, arrested. And then, yeah, really. And then that was the best thing that could have ever happened to me because then I realized that I wasn't well and I got the medication that I needed. What happens is with people, and I know I'm taking on a tangent. What happens is with people that present as unipolar, so they're sad. When they go to the doctor, they feel awful sad. So the doctor pumps, gives them these drugs that pump air into them. But they're already, they're only presenting when they're down here. Most of the time they're up here. So they get all the air put in them. And after a while, it just shoots, the balloon just shoots around, falls on the ground empty. And that's what happened to me. But I learned that this is what I had. But with that came an assortment of great gifts, just like really great gifts tools for someone in my business. So I did get to the top and I did blow it up. But then I went to work for a great company that ran the Raptors and the Maple Leafs basketball NBA team and the NHL team. Everything was, and I worked for them for seven years and they were really good years. And they, they walked me out of the building and they should have walked me out of the building because (laughs) I did not want to do what they wanted me to do at all anymore. I was so sick of talking to hockey players and basketball players. I just needed to change. And they were so gracious and so kind that they were nice enough to walk me out and give me some money, which was really appreciated. I didn't know what I wanted to do next. I just knew I didn't want to do that anymore. And so I went to a business networking organization. It's called BNI, Business Networking International. And I met this class of people that didn't know even existed and they were entrepreneurs. And these are people that I came to have really have a fantastic and quick admiration for because they're figuring it out on their own. They didn't have any safety net. They were figuring out if they didn't kill what you eat, and so I became so impressed with them and wanted to learn more about them. And the first thing I discovered is they did not know their stories at all, and they had fantastic story, just like you have a fantastic story. And so I decided that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to help those people write their stories and do their stories. So I help people with their books, and some people just come to me and they just say, "Just help me figure out what my story is. I want to use it in my podcast. I want to do this and." I sit with them for a while and we figure it out. And then, as I've mentioned to you before, I think every great book, every great story has sweet parts in it. It has a proposition that's so great. Your proposition is do not destroy your family when you can absolutely avoid it. Why would you spend generation after generation creating your family, overcoming all these obstacles, and then blow it all up because you didn't bother to make a will? Why would you do that? And of course we do it because we're so busy or we don't have the money. or We don't have the knowledge, but do not destroy something you worked so hard to build for generations of a document. And I think that's your proposition. We've talked about that before. So your backstory, if I can, like my backstory got me to the point that I described, your backstory is so powerful, Sheree. It brought you to the point of talking about your grandma and the incredible family life you had and all the advice you have. So if you were due to do a book, I would say, Sheree, talk about your grandma The proposition is about don't blow it, don't build, don't destroy what you spent generations building just because you didn't do a document. Then the story would be how you discovered that in your family. And then the advice would be all the things that you could advise people on. So that's what I figured out and kind of what I'm doing.
2: So fast forward to date, how many books have you either written or co-written? I
0: think 20. There's a couple of them that are on the verge. I'm not quite sure whether I should credit them or not. But one of the books I did write, I was really lucky to do this. I wrote a book called Emma's for Maple, which is the best-selling Canadian alphabet book uh, in publishing in our country's publishing history. So every school I go to, every library I go to, I'm there. And it's, there's a few people, I think, that know what the first line of the obituary is going to be. But I think I'm, the, I'm one of them because I'm the guy that wrote Emma's for Maple. It's, it's just been an enormous gift.
2: Oh, my gosh. I love that. Fast-forwarding just a little bit. Sure. Why do you think everyone needs a business book? Because I know you have your story, Yeah. but where does your story go with your business book and how does that help your business?
0: Well, we're the same people when we go to work than we are when we get home, right? We have the same things that happen to us in our lives. Every book, I think, is a business book because either you want to write it to help your business or you want to make writing a book your business. So every book is a business book. And, and this, our stories are so unique and so individual that when you look at them from a distance, you go, Of course, Cherie's helping people with their wills and estates and helping entrepreneurs. Of course, she is. That's exactly what she should be doing. So when you someone reads your backstory and goes, Oh, exactly, that's what Cherie should be doing, that creates a, a belief and an understanding and a confidence in that person because they're dealing with someone that seems to be and is almost like they put on this earth to do this one job for them. Who wouldn't want you based on you and your background and your story? Nobody. You're just perfect. You're perfect. And I wouldn't know you were perfect until I read that about you. But the power of it is then having a book is so powerful because 90% of the power of having a book isn't what's in the book. It's the fact that you have a book because your competitor doesn't have a book because they didn't think what they were doing was important enough to write it down. And you do. So, and, th- and therefore you must know what you're talking about. What you're doing must be important. It must be a passion of yours. You must be passionate and knowledgeable about what you're doing, otherwise you wouldn't write the book. If I want someone to talk about wills and estates and entrepreneurship, I want that person with those qualities, I want you. And the book 24 seven says, yeah, you want me. And you can use it in your podcast, or you can not even write a book, just use it in your podcast or in your social, your correspondence as a, as a short story at a business networking meeting, all those things. If you can give that meaning, hi, my name is Cherie. I have this incredible story. My grandmother was the greatest. And she built this family amongst all these challenges. People would come to revivals and she would get out of bed and make them dinner. She was that kind of person. And my grandfather was And I worked on that farm. I worked really hard. And I come from a long line of people that worked really, really hard to get where they were. And then my grandmother would have rolled over in her grave if she'd seen what happened because she didn't do a will. That's it. That's the magic formula because it's real and it's powerful and it's really true. And so to be able to have that story, to tell that story is in your business as well as in your life. I think it's a real asset.
2: Mike, you have summed that up so succinctly in less than 10 minutes. When people tell you that writing a book is hard, what is your comeback? Because the way that you Kind of outline that seems very doable in terms of someone getting their story out there and actually getting it out to the masses. But what is the process?
0: That's the hard part, Cherie. The process is writing it. Now, I have two services. I can help you write your book. Like You talk to me, and I'll interview you for four or five or six hours. And then three months later, I'll come back with a book, and I'll have written the entire thing. And that's very helpful for people that have a lot more money than time but there's people that want to write their book and want to have their fingers in the keyboard. And so what I do is we have that conversation and I say, Sheree, okay, this is your story. This is your proposition. This is your backstory and you have tons and tons of advice. So I would sit with you and we would create that document, that one page document. And then I charge you 3k for 3000 bucks for it. And then if you want, I have a fantastic coach who can coach you through that process. He's as much a motivator as he is an editor fantastic guy. His name is Paul Challen. And he'll walk you through that process. And when he you need it, he'll kick you in the ass. And when you don't, he'll tell you how great you are. And because he's a brilliant coach. And so he'll help you get that book done. In terms of books now, a lot of people think that they want to see their book in the airport. I would too. And I have. It's great. But the thing is now with Amazon and other services, you're your own gatekeeper. And you, sure you know this. You're your own digital marketer, right? You're your own television station, right? You hear your own media voice. And so you control your book. You control how many you print. You control what it looks like. You control what your message is. Although you won't have a publisher coming and saying, hey, Sherry, I'm going to give you $100,000 to tell your story. You are going to have a situation where you can have someone help you write a great book, help you find that great story. And that's what we do
2: that is so good. So what do you tell someone when they say, you know what, Mike, I want to write a book, but I want it to be a New York Times bestseller. Is the focus ever on the award to the recognition, or do you really try to go from a heart-centered approach in terms of getting the story out there and letting people see that you're an authentic person? Any advice about that?
0: Yeah, I would give lots of advice. The first thing is really be of people who tell you that they're going to put you on a list, that you're going to be an Amazon, a uh, Book Publishing Wizard on Amazon, an award-winning best-selling author. There's no definition of the word best-selling. Nowhere in the dictionary can you find out what best-selling means. It's not really anything. A lot of people will say they want it, so they want a best-selling book on Amazon. What they'll do is they'll put their book in a rather obscure category. They'll get all their friends to buy it. The moment that thing shoots up to the top of that category, they screen save it, and voila, they're a best-selling Amazon author. It doesn't mean a thing. And so the advice that I give people is write a truthful, true book. And the thing is, people will always tell you, write your book based on your audience. Don't do that. Write your book based on your heart. Write your book based on your story. It will find your audience. Tell them what you're about. The people who want you will find you when you tell them what you're about, because why wouldn't they?
2: Let's get a little bit more technical. Sure. Do I just open up a Word document and start writing? Are there any tools that you recommend if I wanted to be the one with my hands on the keyboard? Oh,
0: sure. Yeah, no, I get that. So yeah, just I just used uh, Google Docs. What you do is you create your document. And then if you want to sell on Amazon, I would recommend sp- if you're going to write yourself, which I think is a great idea, what you need to do probably is get an editor. Because not having an editor is like walking into a room with your fly down. It doesn't matter what you say or what you do. <laughs> it doesn't matter how smart you are. You're always going to be the guy that walked in the room with. Because I've done that a couple of times. I've talked to thousands and thousands of kids, and when I go to see them, we talk about editing their work. And I always do the same thing. So if you indulge me, I'll do this. What I always do. So I say to the kids, "Do I have a bald spot?" And they say, "Of course." They say, "Yeah." And I say, "No, really? Do I have a bald spot?" And they say, "Yeah, yeah." Now the third time always the charm with a kid. Do I have a bald spot? Yeah, you got a bald spot. And then I turn to them and I say, that's funny because right now when I'm brushing my teeth, I don't see it. The editor sees the bald spot. They see what you can't just because your view is this little bit here, right? If you knew it was wrong, you you would have done it wrong. So you definitely need an editor because for every like 100 pages, one or two mistakes in 100 pages will sink you because people don't want to read it. It's hard. Learning and reading is hard. They're looking for a reason to jump off the boat. Don't give them one. So that's the first thing. Really get an editor. The other thing you want to do is you really want to get your book designed by someone who knows what they're doing. And that's not hard or expensive, and there's different services. there's Fiverr and there's Freelancer and different things you can get. But have your book carefully edited, that's more important than anything. And the second thing is have it laid out, and then you have a great cover done. Put your face on the cover. They're not buying your idea, they're buying you. Always put your face on the cover, every time. If you have 10 books, have your face on the cover in the 10th book. So those are the things that are the best pieces of advice. Don't worry about the document. It can be Word, it can be Google Docs, whatever you want to do, but do get an editor and absolutely do get your book designed.
2: What are some of the biggest editing mistakes that people make? Because I just I see different types of books that people have self-published and then those with the publishing houses, and some are very well done. Self-published, they look as nice as some of the traditional publishing houses. But in terms of editing mistakes the first time around, what are some of the mistakes that you see?
0: So many. The contraction, IT apostrophe S, That one trips me up all the time. It trips up everyone. I saw, I was watching a Christmas movie and they they had a sign for it in front of the house and said, the Smiths, S-M-I-T-H-S, apostrophe. Come on, (laughs) the Smiths what? The Smiths' house, the Smiths, you know? That one is really common. Words like there and there, that's a big one. Uh, You can misspell. I've done that one.
2: Yes. Yeah,
0: (laughs) and names are deadly, deadly. Because if you misspell a name, it's the worst. Because if you misspell a name, the the person reading you, like that's 10 times walking into a room with your fly down. Because if they know that's not how you spell that person's name, they're not going to believe anything you say. So there's two things. You have to have them believe that you know what you're talking about with an authentic story. And you have to use some stagecraft to keep them coming. I talked to a woman one time in Arizona. She was a, she worked at a ranch and she worked as a carney before this. And I said, "Well, that's an interesting job. How did you do it? You know, a carny. How did you do as a carney? She said, "I did really well." I said, well, "How would you do? It? What you, What was your thinking?" And she said, "When someone walked by me, I thought that person has my ten dollars and I want it back. I thought, okay, that makes good sense. With that reader, you got to work that hard. You have to grab them by the throat, if you can or just by the, whatever, and you have to drag them." from paragraph to paragraph, and you have to do it perfectly because that person, that reader, is giving up everything they have in the world, their kids, their love life, their job, everything to listen to you. Honors do not come much higher than that. So if that person is going to literally give up everything they're doing to listen to you, then you have an obligation that borders on the holy, to make sure that you're giving them your best version of what can help them. That is serious. So I take that very seriously. And that takes work.
2: Well, listeners, no pressure <laughs> at all to get your book in.
0: I got a book on this. I love- it's called it's, I have a book on this, so I guess I can plug that. It's called a short show and tell writing, a short book about how to write a short business book. So it's, it has lots of tips and stuff like that. It's on Amazon. <laughs>
2: And look, I'm going to make sure we have links to all of this so oh, people can have all the goodness in one place. Thank you. So let's get into some secret sauce and some trade secrets. Sure. You mentioned having a great cover. Do you have any tips in terms of the color of your cover? Are there some palettes that convert better than others? Are there some graphics or something to stay away from other than definitely having your face on the cover?
0: Oh, great idea. I don't know because I use a book designer and he's far more intuitive about the look than I am. Here's my tip. There's going be people that know more about this than you do in terms of what a color and all that stuff. Seek them out. I wouldn't know what a good cover is until I see it. I play with Canva and stuff like that, but it's like golf. When you meet a professional golfer, you realize you guys aren't doing the same thing, even though you're using the same tools. And that's how I am with book designers. <laughs>
2: I love that though. And that's something as well. Like even from a business standpoint, when I first started my first business, I was trying to do my own accounting. I was doing my own marketing and I was thinking, oh, I'm saving money. No, it was taking me all day to put in three or four transactions. I was terrible at it. And so when I really decided to let the person who was gifted in that area take on that task, I had more time freedom. You know, there were less mistakes. So, yeah, I definitely like that.
0: That's what we do. That's in a nutshell. So eloquently put, that's what I do. That's what I do because people have more. It's tough and people have stuff to do. If I had to keep my if I was my own accountant, we'd be talking on two tin cans and a thread. (laughs)
2: Like, tell me this. Because when you're telling your story, how much do you share? Like, how much is too much and when is enough enough?
0: Oh, that's a, that's a thank you. That's a brilliant question. I believe in vulnerability. I could have not told you the story about slapping the guy in the airplane and blowing my career up. But someone listening to this will go, oh, yeah, okay, that's like my nephew. Or talking about getting walked out. Lots of people get walked out. I'm not bragging about getting walked out. It doesn't give me a lot of pleasure to say I got walked out. I can't laugh about it. But these are important things in people's lives. And so I really believe in vulnerability. If it's too much, you'll know. Let me give you an example. I did this book with a great guy named Ron Foxcroft, an inventor. If you go to an NBA game, when you hear that really loud whistle, he invented that. Great guy, local guy, really smart gentleman, really, really well. We've done his book. It's really great. It took him six hours. He has this great book. He's given away thousands and thousands of them we were almost done. And I said, I noticed you don't drink. And he said, no. And I said, who is the alcoholic in your family? Because if you don't drink, there's only two reasons. One is religious. And the other one is there was an alcoholic in your family. And he's not religious. <laughs> so he said the alcoholic in my family was my dad. And he beat me once a week, every week for seven years. And Our relationship almost ended when I said, "You can't drink when you when my kids in the room. My son's in the room." But the thing about my dad, he said, is that my dad was a guy who said, "Woulda, coulda, shoulda. I would have done that. I could have done that. I should have done that." And he said, "I decided when I was a young kid that I was never going to be like my dad. So I don't drink and I don't believe in woulda, coulda, shoulda." But he wasn't going to put that in his book. He wasn't. People tell me stuff they only tell their wives and sometimes they haven't even told them, which is an honor. But something like that is so powerful when someone from success who's had a background of success shares that. So vulnerability is the number one requirement because no one's going to hate you from telling the truth.
2: Did you say that he only spent six hours with you and you were able to pull an entire book from him?
0: Yes. Yeah. He liked that <laughs> he was a guy with more money than time. And so he said, I can always find more money, but I can't get more time. So yeah, I I read him extensively and then I go away. And then I have a kind of a team of writers and we go back and research it. And and then we lay the book out and it gets all done. And yeah, that's it. I just, but Cherie, you don't want me in your life. I'm a pain in the ass. I will not give up until I find out why. And who wants to talk about your alcoholic father, really? Do you really want to talk about that? If if I'm working with you, we're going to talk about that. (laughs) And I'm going to come back and I'm going to ask you more questions. And so there's a point in in every client's life where they just want me to go away. (laughs) And I won't.
2: (laughs) I, I love these questions. It's almost tell me more. Okay, so tell me more. And before you know it, you have your book. So, Mike, I love it. I love your process.
0: Oh, thank you. You know, Cherie, the third question, and this is I think this is one thing I can share. The third question is where the gold lives. That's where the gold is. Hi, what's your name? Cherie. Ah, Cherie, what do you do? I'm a lawyer. Oh, why did you decide to get into, in, in, I, I help people with their estates. Oh, why did you decide to get into that? That's where the gold is. It's the third question. And the next third question, the next third question. The thing is, when I was a young man, 30, I got sick, I got cancer. And so I, I'm obviously alive and I'm fine. But what I learned is that you never have to be afraid to ask someone something. They can always say no. Because I'd sit there with these people, and sometimes it was pretty tough for them. And I'd say, how you doing? And they'd tell me it was good, or they'd tell me if it was bad. But I learned there is no way that anyone would not tell you that there is no potential damage or harm in asking a question. I had been timid before that. And I was never timid after that. Because if I can ask you with cancer how you're doing, that's a tough question. That's a tough answer. Everything after that's easy. And so that changed me. And so that's where the goal lives, the third question. And don't be afraid to ask a question based on that. And don't be afraid of looking stupid. Don't think that you're going to look stupid because you're afraid someone will think it's a stupid question. Ask your question with humility. And when you ask a question, do it with an open heart. Like when you talk to, I say this to kids, so forgive me, this is probably not germane to an adult, but I tell young people, when you ask a question, look the person in the eye, right? Listen with your entire body and then ask follow-up questions based on their answers and people will tell you anything. And they will, they'll tell you anything because they can sense an open heart and a genuine interest. And those are very powerful things in any livelihood.
2: Mike, if you could give one piece of advice to an entrepreneur on how to play big faster, what would it be? Ooh, tough one.
0: I would say that telling your story is the most essential thing that I think you can do because it addresses so many things. And, and as we talked about, it addresses so many things like social media and the elevator pitch and all that stuff. So I would say that's a great idea. Figure out what your story is. I would advise you that it's card. Because to figure out your own story, as we've talked about before, is difficult because it's our story, so it doesn't seem that unusual. But I would really advise them to cultivate that story and use it. That Everyone has a story they should use every single day. They should be telling every single day because it's the anchor of exactly who they are and what they do and why they do it. And in that case, why can they can do it better than anybody else. So I would lead people to the story.
2: Love it. And how can people find you if they would like to work with you or find out more about all the books that you have?
0: Oh, well, that's brilliant. Uh, it's mikeolmer.com. Mike and then u l m e r.com. Or you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm generally not on a lot on Facebook and stuff like that, but you can find me on LinkedIn.
2: And I'll make sure that I include those links in the show notes. Thank you so much for being with us.
0: I had a riot. I could speak with you all day.
2: And until next time, play big faster.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. Want more entrepreneurial content? I like this. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes. already subscribed. I just clicked on it. Don't forget to like and leave a review. Share with a friend that needs this in their life. I think you need this more than I. Oh, and make sure to follow Cherie on IG at Cherie Speaks. And remember to play big faster.